Good evening and welcome. We're glad you're with us tonight. I'm James Egan with the Journey Church in Gainesville, Texas and Transformative Truths. So grateful that you've joined us. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We have been studying this book uh, now uh, through the first chapter and we're going to continue studying it uh, and then go into 2 Thessalonians over the next several weeks and months. And tonight's subject, or today's subject, is a preacher worthy of imitation. A preacher worthy of imitation. And if you'll join me in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to exposit the first 12 verses. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before we were spiritually I'm sorry, were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as, was, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have been, when we have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be burdened to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devotely and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. In our previous lesson, we mentioned the value of a good model. It demonstrates what can be done. A good role model, that is. It demonstrates what can be done. It provides direction for what should be done. It inspires one to do what ought to be done. And the church at Thessalonica certainly serves as a church worthy of imitation. We saw it last week. In this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we find Paul reflecting upon his preaching while in Thessalonica in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 2. And then verses 9 through 12, you see him referring to his conduct whilst he was amongst them, from which we learn that Paul certainly serves as a preacher worthy of imitation. So just as churches do well to emulate the church at Thessalonica, so preachers would do well to imitate the example of the Apostle Paul while he worked with them but not just preachers. This text applies to all Christians, that all Christians would benefit by imitating the example of Paul. Consider, therefore, number one, the manner of his preaching. The manner of his preaching. He preached with boldness. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before, and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Despite his previous persecution at Philippi, despite the persecutions at Thessalonica, you have this boldness was not natural for Paul or for others for that matter. Paul often experienced fear and trembling. We read about it over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. It says right here, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. We know that Timothy, over here in 2 Timothy, if you go to the right, uh, Timothy needed encouragement to be bold. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gifts of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in his suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And so he preached with boldness, but such boldness was not natural for Paul or for others. But he found his boldness in our God. He found his boldness in our God. We can turn back to the left over here to Ephesians. And what we find here is the reason he asked others to pray for him was that God would grant him boldness. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, 19 through 20. And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So one thing is for sure, the preacher worthy of imitation is one who speaks boldly. That's not arrogantly, that's boldly. Others also look to God when in need of boldness. You can read about that over here in Acts chapter 4, about others doing the same. In Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 29, it says right here in the Bible, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. And verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So to proclaim the Word with all boldness, you need to look to God for courage and ask for it. We see this example in the manner of His preaching with His boldness. But we also see in the manner of His preaching, it was with truth and honesty. Paul preached the truth, not error. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, For our exhortation did not come from the error or from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. He did so with honesty, not through impure motives of trickery, as he mentions here. He didn't do any such thing, but he does tell us also when he writes a second, the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, listen to what he says. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience and the sight of God. It's not enough to speak the truth. The truth needs to be told in, uh, needs to be told honestly. We need both the truth and honesty. It's not enough to be honest. We also must speak the truth. So let's strive both for truth and honesty as Paul says specifically in 2 Corinthians 2.17. Let us strive for these things, both truth and honesty. So his manner of preaching was with boldness. Our living should be with boldness to speak, uh, to speak in whatever situation we are. We know that it's not natural, but his, man his manner of preaching was not natural, but it had come upon him by prayer and supplication. And it was done, it was, and his boldness was found in God. We see that. Our boldness is found in God. And then he preached with truth and honesty. But there's something else. The manner of his preaching was a manner that pleased God, not men. This is the part that uh, many faithful pastor uh, struggles with. Because um, if, if he's honest, if he's been in it long enough, he knows this struggle. There are just some topics for some people that it's just too hard for them to hear, to bear up. You take the current political situation, maybe in your country if you're joining us from afar, or here in our country. I don't believe it, for one moment the pulpit is to be a place of political speech. I believe, though, it is to be a place of prophetic uh, pronouncement on the state or where you have a prophetic 
pronouncement on how government is to behave according to God, because God, after all, has set up all governments. Every government that has ever existed, exists, or will exist has been appointed for a season by God. And so, therefore, His ambassadors in chains, His ambassadors of Christ, His ministers of the gospel, have a duty to prophetically speak to the condition of the state. And, uh, and, and as far as I'm concerned, I want the state to be the state, and I want the church to be the church. I don't want the church to be the state, and I definitely don't want the state to be the church. Um, I am a very, very uh, proud American. I'm a very proud Texan, but that has nothing to do, in my, in my view, of the American government or the Texas Statehouse. Um, I'm a patriot because I love my country. It's not because of my government. As a minister of the gospel, it is my job to prophetically speak uh, to the condition and the state of the government, how they govern the people. And that is, a, that is something that makes people very uncomfortable. But, you know, the reality of it is that discomfort is why Paul prayed for boldness. It's because, you know, you're preaching it is going to rub people the wrong way. I learned also a long time ago uh, when I was sitting in the pews listening to, to uh, preachers while I was in seminary, I'd go up to them and I'd say, wow, you really stepped on my toes today as, as if somewhat of a sort of a compliment slash backhanded slap. And one very wise minister said to me once, he said, you know what, you won't get your toes stepped on if you're standing where you belong. And that has really resonated with me, and I've used that ever since, every time somebody says, I step on their toes. The reality of it is, you have to please God, not men, and really all of us do, whether we're preachers or train engineers. Uh, whether we're house cleaners or professors, whether we are uh, uh, lawyers or um, school teachers, anything. We need to set up and live our lives to please God, not man. And so Paul was aware that God had trusted him with the gospel. Look at this. This is so important in verse 4. Remember, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And God has entrusted this gospel to the apostle Paul to preach it with boldness, in truth and honesty, in pleasing Him and not men. Look at verse 4. But we, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. God is the one that tests our heart. And so, this is an expression of grace. Look over here with me. Go back to the left to Ephesians. To Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. Ephesians 3 verse 8 says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So it's an expression of grace, and, it, and it's an example of mercy and long-suffering. Go over here to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. It says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, Paul says to Timothy. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. In verse 14, he says, and the grace of our Lord, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. With, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am chief. And in verse 16, however, for this reason I obtain mercy that, I, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long sufferings as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him unto everlasting life. And then you have a marvelous doxology right here in verse 17. You might mark it. It's just now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, that's, a, 
That's a doxology. That is to, a doxology is where one praises God for who He is, uh, different from a benediction uh, in what He does. And so what do you have here? You have Paul saying, you know, he's pleasing God, not men, because it's not men that put him in the ministry. It's God that put him in the ministry. It's God that called him in the ministry. And uh, so therefore it was God he sought to please, not man, knowing that it was God who tries the heart. Uh, we read about that even in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. God tries our hearts. Do you understand? If, if, if Paul is worthy of imitation as, the, as an apostle of Christ Jesus, who he says is the chief of sinners, the least of all believers, we should endeavor to imitate him. Those of us that are ministers should imitate his ministry and his preaching and him as a preacher. But as believers, we can all imitate him for one reason. Amongst many reasons, God is the one who tests the hearts of men, as it says in Hebrews 4, 13. And knowing this, this is what made him a true servant of Christ. I want you to look at this. We're, we're turning to these pages for a reason. Go over to Galatians chapter 1. You read Ephesians. Just turn one more to the left. Galatians chapter 1, and it says in verse 10, it says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I think this kind of goes in line with the biblical teaching of what Jesus said, that you cannot serve both God and mammon. The minister of the gospel is not a minister to serve his patrons. He is a minister to serve the one who called him, the one who is faithful. He is called to please his God, for whom he is called an ambassador. That is who he represents. And part of being a minister means that folks are going to misunderstand you, whether accidentally or sadly, on purpose. They're going to purposely misunderstand you. They are going to purposely seek disagreement. But that just comes with it. That, that, you know what? God is able to, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power of the Christ that works within us for the glory of the church. And so that's why he prays for courage. That's why he speaks with boldness. That's why he moves in trying to please God and not men. And he does this concerning pleasing God, not gaining the popularity of men. He goes about this without letter D, without flattery or covetousness. We're talking about his manner of preaching. It's with boldness. It's with truth and honesty. It's about pleasing God, not men, and without flattery or covetousness. Paul did not resort to flattering words to gain an audience. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 5 says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. He undoubtedly knew that using flattery was dangerous. We know this from Proverbs. I mean, if you go all the way, I'll just turn there for you, but you just write down Proverbs 29 verse 5. Proverbs 29 verse 5. It says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. He spreads a net for his feet. Flattery is a tool used also by false teachers. Did you know that's in the Bible? That's 2 Peter 2.18. Flattery is a tool that is used by false teachers. So if you're feeling like in church that your pastor is just flattering you and flattering you and flattering you, you might ought to step back and look at the bigger picture. The Bible does not lie, and God is not mocked. Flattery spreads a net for somebody, and as the Scripture says, it is used as a tool of a false teacher. I don't go to church to feel good. I go to church that I, through the preaching of the Word of God, I may become holy, that I may become more holy, more pleasing to God in, in the process of sanctification He brought me to through calling me to believe in Jesus Christ. And so church is not a, you know, there are definitely times my family will say, well, Dad, what are you preaching today? I said, oh, I got a sugar stick today. Uh, 
That's a sermon that's going to make everybody feel good. And those are, those are wonderful times. You take the 23rd Psalm, for example. Uh, we'll do that sometime. It's a 15-week series on the 23rd Psalm. You, you, you just go to the resplendent glory of, of the image of the shepherd and the sheep because the, the story is told from the perspective of the sheep and his loving shepherd who is God. And there's other times that I'll go home for lunch and they'll say, you really shucked the corn and peeled the bark and shelled the peas. And there's, there are those kind of things. But I don't think that I've, I've ever been indicted of flattering people. And really, I want to. I want people to feel good. But the Bible says that flattery spreads a net for them. It means that, that if, you, if you spread a net for a person, you're intention is to capture them, to take away their freedom. And it is a tool used by the false teacher. And one thing I don't want to be called is a false teacher because I am one. I'd rather be called a false teacher because somebody is unaware of Scripture and, and says, well, you're a false teacher, and they don't know what the Scripture... And that's where you lean back and you say, God, I'm trying, I am seeking to please you and not man. Lord, please continue to give me this boldness. Help me, O oh God, not to please man and to tell the truth and to preach the truth with honesty. Paul did not use covetousness either to persuade or resort to using covetousness either to persuade or for his own personal gain. He says again in verse 5, he says, nor as a cloak of covetousness, God is my witness. Covetousness is another tool of false teachers. If, if you're taking notes, you should be writing these down. Flattery is a tool of the false teacher, and so is covetousness. So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, but there were many, there were also false prophets among the people, even others even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the ways of the Lord will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. False teachers flatter and false teachers use covetousness. Paul did not do either one. Paul was careful not to take advantage of his brethren becoming wealthy off of them. I have no qualms or problems at all with the minister of the gospel uh, living comfortably and living well. And the Bible even says he's worthy of double honor. But I'm not, I'm not willing to go around and draw lines. There are many men. My personal goal it, it, as a minister, it's always been a desire of mine to, to preach the gospel, to pastor a church, to disciple men, and be able to do it off the proceeds of, of books, perhaps, that I have written. Well... I, I don't think anyone else would have written a book that would have given me the proceeds, so I, obviously I would have written them. But that, that is a goal of mine. That's why I pursued the education I pursued was to learn how to write uh, on paper succinctly. And it's one reason that, like today, I mean, I write, I write my sermons out. I mean, I'm, I'm writing all of the time. And uh, my wife even encouraged me the other day. She said, it is time for you to write your book. It would be so wonderful to, to write and to, to make a living off of that. And if that means that, that you do well, that's great. I know of one very, very famous minister that I could mention in Southern Baptist life who has, uh, he, he, he gives 90% of his income away that he makes a year and it mainly to his church, and 90% of the income he makes from it, of his income doesn't come from his church. But he gives it away, and he still drives the same truck that he, he drove in the 1980s and still lives in the same house he bought before his church, his physical church, was ever built. If I mentioned his name, you'd know who he is. And uh, it's amazing. He's, he's wealthy beyond wealthy, but he's, he's not ostentatious. 
Well, in, in this manner, Paul is simply saying that uh, he does not wish to take advantage of the people to gain wealth. If they become wealthy from their hard work and that's God's blessing, that's one thing. But to take advantage of them, becoming wealthy of them, that's anathema. In Acts chapter 20, verse, verse 33, the Bible says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And in fact, that just reminds me of something. Um, although I'm not going to turn to it, when the Apostle Paul is teaching the book of Romans, or he's writing the book of Romans on grace, um, he talks about how that, you know, he was, he was a keeper of the law, and he was a fair, he, he did all of these things as God had commanded, but then he found, he realized he was, he had covetousness in his heart. And that's how he realized he was a sinner, was covetousness. He desired things that were not to be his or he did not know how to delay gratification. And uh, that was the point, as he says in Galatians, that the law became the schoolmaster, the tutor that taught him and ran him towards the cross of Christ and to believe. That, that's a, just a wonderful story for another day. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, it says, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one, for what I lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and I also will keep myself. Now this, this is not a, 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 a prescription for a church to not pay their minister. Paul's ministry was an apostolic ministry. He was an itinerant preacher, and he went about place to place establishing churches. But the churches he established, he left behind a pastor. And in some places, he left behind Timothy to set up elders in these churches. And uh, they were compensated, and, and they were worthy of double pay, as, as we're taught in, in the pastoral epistles. So I, I don't want you to ever think that, that uh, Paul here is speaking in a manner that says, well, throw the, throw the pastor out with a with the bathwater and, and the offering plates. That's, that's not what he's talking about. Paul is saying that he did not come preaching to them to be a burden upon them for his own enrichment. He came preaching the gospel with boldness and honesty and truth as to pleasing God, not men without flattery or covetousness. That's what we see. And so when souls, he, he, you win souls through truth, not through flattery. You win souls through truth, not flattery. Uh, and you avoid any semblance of taking advantage of the brethren for monetary gain. This is a good lesson for everyone. In the course of 20 years, there have been multiple times where people have only come to the churches where I have pastored after they have only left another church on the way to another one to enrich themselves and their own ministries off of the genuine goodness of the people taking advantage of it. I can, I can see the faces and I could name the names and they were only there for a season to enrich themselves. And uh, that is, that is, that is, absolutely uh, against what is being taught here in this scripture. That is not worthy of imitation. Uh, that is a product of uh, not only desperation, but uh, deprivation, uh, the depravity of man. Uh, and then he did it without seeking for glory from men. He did it without seeking for, for glory from men. Look at verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men. Nor did we seek glory from either men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He was careful not to seek glory from them or from others. As an apostle of Christ, it would have been easy to do this. He was the main thing in town when he came into town. I mean, what was going on at the synagogue when uh, the apostle Paul was there? Everyone was there, this, this learned man so schooled that had this Roman citizen that was fluent in Hebrew and Greek and, and uh, I'm sure was a, you know, uh, uh, a very, uh, uh, he was a man that could draw people. Uh, he was a gatherer 
Uh, he could have easily abused his authority, but he was careful not to, as such glory would have been vainglory, as we learn in Proverbs 25, 27. That's just simple vainglory. True servants don't seek glory from men, but from God. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that when one tells the preacher that sermon really ministered to me, that it would be inappropriate for him to say thank you. Um, that is the appropriate thing to say to a compliment. When someone compliments you, you say thank you. But would you believe that there are times when someone may say, you know, you really did a great job. And then one says thank you. And they say, well, never mind, you just ruined it. You should say glory to God. Praise the Lord. The reality of it is, is it is the intent of the heart. Saying thank you for a compliment is not seeking glory from men. Uh, you, we preach with boldness, with honesty, with truth, without flattery or without covetous, not seeking the glory of men in boldness, pleasing God, not men, and with gentleness and affection. With gentleness and affection. Look what he says here at verse 7. He sp said, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. If I could go back over the 20 years of my ministry, of preaching the gospel, coming up on 21 years now, one thing of all of these that I wish I could say I had done a better job at more than any of the rest is being gentle. Is being gentle. I, have, I personally have never had a problem with boldness or truth and honesty. I have never had a problem in the pulpit pleasing God and not men, and, and I've got the scars to prove it. Uh, I, I'm not a flatterer. Uh, I've not used a church for covetousness. I do not seek the glory of men. But I will tell you this, I, I do wish this was a point of great conviction for me is uh, that I would deal more gentle be, deal, that, I would, that I would be worthy of imitation through gentleness and affection, that my, my demeanor and my speech and my presentation would have been more gentle. He was gentle like a nursing mother is with her child as he counseled Timothy to be towards those who are in error. Now see, this is one of my favorite passages. Go over here to 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2. I don't have any problem doing what Paul says to Timothy to do, uh, except for the gentleness part. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, Second uh, Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25. Look what he says. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach in patience. Able to teach patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. For some reason, just I've always seemed to not seen that word gentle. <laughs> gentle. I don't have any problem with the rest of it, but that gentle part. And here he's saying the same thing. He is telling this to the church that if you're going to have a preacher and a pastor, the manner of his preaching needs to be one of gentleness and affection. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't get worked up. Dear friend of mine, best friend in the world, uh, gave me and it's hanging in my office. It's just about four feet on the other side of me from where I'm sitting right now. That's an old story about and it's one of uh, Esau's fables. And uh, there is a man walking across a street, and he has on a coat, a very long coat. And the sun looks at the wind, and the wind looks at the sun, and they both, the S-U-N, the and they both look down at the man, and the wind says, I bet you that I can blow that coat off of that man. And the son says, I bet you can't. And so the sun went behind the clouds and the wind took a great breath and began to blow and to blow and to blow upon the man with the coat. And as, the more, as more wind came upon the man, the tighter he bundled himself up in the coat. 
And when the wind had run out of breath, it went to the side, and out behind the clouds came the sun. And as the sun just began to shine down upon the man, the man began to loosen the grip on his coat and eventually just let, took the coat off. My friend said to me, he said, James, sometimes you're more wind than sun. You're more wind than sun. I only tell you that because like you, I struggle with these things. But I'm not praying that God will help me not struggle with it. I'm praying that God will give me wisdom to obey what He has said. He has told me what to do. Give me wisdom to obey. Give me the courage, the boldness. I would pray more for gentleness than boldness. And here in this text, He, it's, he instructed the spiritual to be that way towards those overtaken in fault. In Galatians chapter 1, listen to this. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespasses, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's all too often that people run to find someone in fault and correct them, to tell them what they've done wrong. I want to tell you, that you will never ever shame a person into doing the right thing. But if you will go with gentleness as a brother, with kindness, as Paul says here, as, as, as he was as a preacher, look, his gentleness, what did that leave behind? It's left behind you and me. We're believers today because somewhere in the lineage of our family, that root can be traced back to these words in this scripture where they took hold. Isn't that amazing? And we still hear of it today. And so Paul was a preacher who loved his brethren. We read about that in Philippians 1.8, for which he joyfully sacrificed his life as necessary in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. So let gentleness and love of the brethren be apparent both in preaching, specifically in my preaching or the preaching a preacher you listen to, but collectively in all of our lives. Let us maintain this image, this manner of preaching with boldness, with truth and honesty, with pleasing God and not men, without flattery or covetousness, without seeking for the glory of men with gentleness and affection. And indeed, one cannot separate our preaching from our life. This is just a fact. So as we continue to learn what Paul, what Paul made a more preacher or how he learned how to make a, a preacher worthy of imitation, we focus our attention more closely on number two, the manner of his life. We saw the manner of his preaching. The rest of our time and the text speaks of the manner of his life. This gives you a glimpse into the man himself. And so the first thing we see is that he was laboring night and day. He was laboring night and day. In day, in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine, he says, "For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God." It, it's not inappropriate for preachers to be supported. I've alluded to this many times, but now let me put the plow in the ground. Go over here to First Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter nine. Verses 7 through 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 14. Whoever goes to war, verse 7, whoever goes to war at his whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of that flock. Do I say these things as a mere Man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sake? 
For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that, we, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. And if we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a great thing if we reap your material things. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel." That is a, that's a two-edged sword. I made a commitment that I would make my living from the gospel when God called me to the ministry. Boy, I tell you, it, if, if you could look at our checkbook, you would say, wow, what a crazy thing. I've got two kids in college, uh, a wife, I've got a home, I've got cars and animals broken stuff that needs fixed. Someone needs braces. Another person needs physical therapy. Just on and on and on. There's all kinds of things. Probably going to have someone getting married one of these days. Probably both of them actually, I hope. But i got to pay more for one than the other. And, uh, um, and But we make our living off the gospel. And, but that's one edge of the sword. The other side is what Paul is exhorting the church at Corinth. Take care of those who preach the gospel to you. They live off that. You, they're not working for someone else. They have your time. You're, you're, they are on your time uh, serving the Lord. And so that was the manner of his life. He chose to preach the gospel without charge as a way of demonstrating his willingness to accept his calling as a steward. Again, 1 Corinthians 9, 6 in 15 through 18. So Paul often worked as a tent maker while he was preaching in Acts 18, 1 through 4. Uh, there were times that he would go out and, as not to be a burden as an apostle. He, he didn't serve as a pastor like you see today, but as, a, as, a, as an apostle, one who went and laid the foundations and set the forms of a church, of a brand new church plant uh, to eat, um, he, to, to not be a burden. He... Uh, he made tents. And uh, so his example should remind us of the sacrificial nature of service. That, that's the point of this. The, the point is not necessarily what you pay or don't pay. The idea is uh, he was one that showed us we're to have sacrificial service. It should cost you something. Some may choose to support themselves like Paul did. All should be available and accessible both day and night, as we see this in Acts 20, 31. And note also that we can serve by praying day and night. There's an example of this in 1 Thessalonians 3.10 and 1 Timothy 5.5. We're going to talk about that soon. The main point is that our service to God and one another is not a 9 to 5 job. It's not a 9 to 5 job. But not only that... Not only did he manner, was, was the manner of his life laboring night and day, but it was also devout, just, and blameless. Uh, devoutly depicts the nature of his service. In verse 10, he says, You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed. And in the New International Version, the word um, here where it says devoutly, the New International Version says holy. The New Revised Standard Version, if you've got one of those, uh, says righteous. Uh, justly describes his dealing with his fellow men. The, New Reserve, the uh, uh, New Reserve Standard says upright. The NIV says righteous. Uh, blamelessly reflects his carefulness to be above reproach, Some, something he was always careful about. Uh, we read about that in Acts 24, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul was very, very adamant that uh, his, his, wherever he was or whatever he was doing, 
he was always being surveilled by God. God was always watching his heart. And since that was his mind and that's the way he lived, he lived blamelessly before the humans. Did that mean he didn't sin? I'm afraid he did. Uh, Paul, Paul has already told us he's the chief of sinners. But uh, he also tells us that where there is much sin, there is much greater grace. We see this in Scripture. And so even before he became a Christian, he lived in a manner that was blameless. We read in Philippians 3 verse 6. So all three of these graces are important. They impact our relationship to God, our relationship to our fellow man, and they help keep our reputation pure. In the very first church that I pastored, when I was in view of a call at that church, the afternoon uh, between the first service and the evening business meeting where I would be interviewed by the church and voted on, I stayed in a couple's home. And I took a nap uh, that afternoon, which is typically what I do on Sunday. And uh, I remember seeing a little plaque in, in this room. This, this family had, had adult children, and I slept in one of the adult son's rooms uh, they, he lived in another state, and he had, a, he had a little plaque from his father, and he said, this is your name, and I gave it to you. Uh, you can't have another one. Don't tarnish the one you have. And that, that, was, that was literally June the 1st of 2000 when I, when I read that. And uh, it, it still speaks to me today. Uh, and a good name, as Proverbs says, is a blessed thing to have that people know that you're somebody who is devout and is just and blameless. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're devout, they're just and blameless. And then there's something else here, and it's the last thing that he mentions in verse 11. He mentions being fatherly. Paul was like a father to them. Look at verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children exhorting and comforting them, that is encouraging them. Go over here to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk to please God. Now, what's he referring to? He's referring right back here to uh, chapter 2. And so we'll deal with that when we get there charging them necessary, which means commanding them, commanding them. It is not inappropriate for the minister to give the commands of God to the people. They're not his commands, they're God's commands. And if they don't listen, if they don't receive them, their, their, their debt is to God, not to the minister. And uh, as we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which you receive from us. And then he says down in verse 12, Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work, I'm sorry, yes, that they work in, the quiet, in quietness and eat their own bread. All right? And so that's a fatherly exhortation and then from this he's concerned about their walk in life as Christians. Look down here at verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He wanted their walk to be worthy of God. Any pastor worth his salt wants his people to walk worthy of God. And the first place that that needs to be seen is in the manner of the preacher's preaching and in the manner of his living. He wanted them to walk in a walk that was worthy of God and God had called them into His kingdom of glory. Now in conclusion, all preachers would do well to have some kind of fatherly concern uh, for their congregation and motherly gentleness and affection. Remember that word motherly? There's a fatherly concern that they would walk well. But there's the motherly gentleness and affection as well that Paul had.
but not only preachers, how much better it would be if all the members of the church served one another as Paul served the brethren. See, that's, that's what this is about. The Thessalonian church was not a church made up of a convention of preachers. It was a church made up of people that had savingly, effectually believed on the Lord Jesus Christ whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life and are to walk according to the manner by which Paul indicates in this passage and has been teaching. We see that it's a church worthy of imitation and his ministry, his preaching, his, his, his pastoral ministry, he was a preacher worthy of imitation. And so he's not writing a convention of preachers. He's writing a congregation of people. He's writing a congregation of people that they need to be a people that with all boldness, truth, and honesty, seeking to please God and not man, without flattery, covetousness, or seeking glory from men, with labors night and day, seeking to be devout, just, and blameless, with all gentleness and affection of a nursing mother and the guidance and, the guidance and encouragement of a caring father. That's what all believers should be like. All believers should be like. You may want to put your video on pause at this point and back that up and write those things down if you haven't already done it. That's what this text tells us. That is what the text means and it means what it says. Yes, the apostle is indeed a preacher worthy of imitation. For such a reason, every Christian would do well to heed his admonition as found in another place as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Amen? Well, thank you for joining us. It was our pleasure to be with you tonight. God bless you.